Support for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Gmail. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And from listeners like you. Thank you. And my free time. Got to get that in there. Lucas, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but I wanted to start off the episode with a question. So I've been watching a lot of Star Trek lately. Okay. And... What are we talking? Are we talking original? Are we talking TNG? TNG. Talking Voyager? Enterprise? Oh, TNG. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to know, if you can think of something off the top of your head, what would you do? What would your profession be if, like in Star Trek, money was no option and the only reason you had a job or a career is to better yourself or to better mankind? probably do as little as possible that's kind of my first thought as well like there's nothing i can think of that i would want to do that would really like better humanity or starfleet or anything like that so just eat things that come out of the replicator (laughs) that's what i'd do i'd invent new recipes with the replicator i'd be like replicator i don't know put make some uh computer uh make me some uh uh what is that ice cream called uh some hef Hasenpfeffer Heis... Hasenpfeffer? Yeah, computer. Earl Grey hot Hasenpfeffer ice cream, cold. Well, first you start with some rabbit, and then... Speaking of rabbit, happy Easter, everybody. Oh, there you go. You got yours in. Uh, Yes, happy Easter to you, too, uh, Lucas. And happy Easter to all of our listeners. It's time for another episode of Elwood City Limits. After a little bit of a break in our format, we are back once again. My name is Will Young, and of course, that's Lucas Mancini across the table from me. Uh, Lucas, got some good feedback from our Zabuma Dudes episode. I'm surprised. Uh, I guess I should say I'm happily surprised. I'm Hmm. glad everybody enjoyed it. And you know what? I actually really enjoyed watching that one episode. Maybe if we had to watch more, I definitely wouldn't enjoy it as much. But uh, I got a kick out of the Kratz. I'd say I didn't enjoy watching it as much as you did. I mean, there were some things after the fact that I enjoyed. But at the same time, it's a kind of situation where if you want us to do that again, you're going to have to pony up some Skrill. I'm not, I'm not going to do that for free. I have found myself, whenever something goes wrong, like I'm in my apartment, let's say I drop shampoo in the shower and yes. it makes a big noise, hopefully not waking up my neighbors early in the morning when I wake up, I found myself going, that leaping lemur, that just leaping blaming lemur. everything on that leaping lemur. Well, he is quite into everything. Now, of course, Zabuma Dudes, if you're not sure, just go back two weeks and Check out that episode we did for April Fool's Day. Uh, We got a little bit of feedback here. First of all, uh, I made sure to credit you. You were the one with the idea for (laughs) Zabuma Dudes, and I think that it was a a good idea. Yeah, I guess the timeline's a little bit messed up because that would have been for our listeners two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, And then there was that week off we had because you were on vacation. Welcome back, Island Boy. Thank you. Uh, 
Mon. So these are, I also am to understand we have some questions from those weeks as well, right? Yes. Uh, okay. So we have a couple of emails here uh, to elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. And we have one Tumblr ask. But first, let me get into the emails. Uh, this one is from our buddy Josias. He says, in the last episode of the hit podcast series, Zabuma Dudes, we'll ask Lucas what food he would have in his custom animal junk. I don't dispenser. remember this at all. <laughs> oh, we did. Oh, we totally did. <laughs> no, no, I know. But I'm just like I don't know what. Oh, you don't know I what gave. your answer was. Yeah. Well, I, well, Josias does. When Lucas <laughs> answered with pancakes, <laughs> Will immediately shut it down, saying that the food would have to be something that can go through a tube. This is completely untrue, as in this episode, the Krat <laughs> brothers take out an entire miniature papaya from the dispenser in order to give the zabu, and the dispenser right next to that one has pizza slices. <laughs> and, he, and he provided some photo evidence as well. And uh, yes, I was made quite the fool of. This is obviously the worst possible mistake someone could make in a Zabumafu podcast. <laughs> will should apologize to Lucas immediately. If not, I will gladly unsubscribe and instead listen to the much more highly qualified podcast Fools. And that's from Josiah's from New Jersey. Uh, Lucas, I'm sorry. Your pancake idea was sounder than I realized. I won't hold it against you, but you know what? That just adds to our theory that the uh, Animal Junction is some sort of magical realm hmm. where uh, the laws of time and space are, are bended somewhat. That this full papayas can come out of that tiny tube. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. What were they filled with? Those little bead things, aka seeds. Uh- <laughs> Yes, seeds. <laughs> uh, and we also have one from Matt. Dear Will and Lucas, huge fan of and Arthur. Da, 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 da. I must say your podcast recently sent me on a crazy journey in order to keep up the charade that I'm always aging and getting ever closer to death. I understand. Me too. I transfer all the podcasts I listen to onto video cassette to remind me of my childhood. What? That's crazy. That's awesome. Well, hang on. Recently, oh. my tape player broke, so I had to get a new one to listen to your episode that aired on April Fool's Day. I found one at a garage sale for $5 American. However, it was covered in archaic writings. It was right about here that I was like, I think we might be getting into creepypasta territory. Oh, no. The, I bought this Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> game, and then Sonic tried to kill me. Pokemon Black. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that, that Pokemon Black. When I put in your episode, <laughs> I was thrown through the multiverse and switched place with a version of myself in a world where you two fine gentlemen ran a Zabumafu podcast and not an Arthur one. Uh, anyway, I see. He wanted, he wanted to highlight a question we asked, what is the Animal Junction? Uh, he says, now through my younger siblings, I became aware of the Krat Brothers third series, Wild Krats. I saw this too. It was in my recommended YouTube videos after mm. watching that Savumafu episode. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> the series begins with live action openings and closing by the Krats with animal features in between. The animated Krats are around the age of Zabumafu era Krat Brothers. The Wild Krats have a crack team to help them and fly around in a turtle-shaped spaceship. The Krats have a network of kids working for them. <laughs> well, that's, so maybe, well, that sounds super nefarious. Huh, I guess maybe the Animal Junction was located in Bolivia. We now figured it out. <laughs> oh, God. Which is very similar to the Animal Helper segments on Zabumafu. The most important... Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The kids helping them is like similar to the Animal Helper segment? So it's like, children, pull this tree for us. 
I guess. No, I, I, I think he meant like the, uh, with what's her name, uh, was uh, the little girl oh, riding the horse. Oh, I see. They have child experts. Yeah, I was like, yeah. animal helpers like, <laughs> let us ride on these children's backs across this creek. Yikes. The most important thing, though, is the Kratts have traveled through time with a time trampoline. They attempted to stop animals from going extinct. However, they learned- Whoa, whoa. I, again, okay, hang, 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 I'm hang, sorry, hang. but the, the, there is some like- Huge um, sociological questions I have about preventing animals from going extinct. And they're getting into some politics with the Crap Brothers. Anyway, continue. They attempted to stop animals from going extinct. However, they learned they couldn't do that. Oh, I believe the Kratz decided that if they couldn't save the animal in their world, they would save them in other worlds. This This machine became a combination of their teleporter and their time trampoline. This machine eventually became the Animal Junction. Personally, I believe that at some point after Zabumafu ended, Zabumafu snapped from all the brain-altering drugs the Kratz gave him, and he destroyed Wild Kratz Incorporated and Animal Junction. The Kratz were left in financial ruin and had no choice but to make an animated version of their early adventures to support themselves. Well, quite the uh, quite the fan fiction that we have here. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of that is actually, like, the plot line of that new show and how much of this came from Matt's wonderful imagination. What the, oh, gosh, it's going to it's going to drive me nuts. What's that thing on uh did you ever go on TV Tropes? Uh sure, I've I've been to TV Tropes. There, there's a oh, I think I think it might be like epileptic trees or something where people are just like throwing out their own theories as to why oh, something is so like oh Aladdin's the apocalypse. Yeah, or exa- yes, exactly. The, the famous one's that Rugrats one where yeah. it's like the Rugrats, yeah. Um, I, I, but the thing with that is, I'm not quite sure where it began and end, ended. <laughs> like the premise of this Crap Brothers show sounds so crazy on its own that it's not that far out of the realm of uh, possibility mm. that Matt's theories are correct. I'd like to believe they are. Uh, that's again, that's from Matt. He also says, "P.S. Can you edit in Roman Reigns' dumb one-liner from Raw with some D.W. quotes mixed in? Keep up the wrestling references." Well, we will. But Matt, I, I found this a little bit difficult. I didn't really recall any D.W. zingers that would be appropriate uh, for the for Roman Reigns on Raw two weeks ago, right after uh, WrestleMania. But uh, here, here's here's my best try. This is my yard now. Why don't you go back to your own house and stop bothering us? Okay, so, yeah, you know, I hopefully that's what you were looking for, Matt. And finally, we have a Tumblr ask here from Demixian. And I forget if we've answered this before, but I, just for new listeners and in case we haven't, what animals would you two be if you guest starred on Arthur? So, d- did we answer that or no? I don't know. We might have pontificated about it, but, like, I honestly really, really don't know. Probably I'd be one of the ducks or something lame. Like those ducks that are rolling up the grass in front of Muffy's. Beautiful uh, weather, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones biking in the rain. Like that'd probably be me. Like what's the lamest animal we've seen in Arthur so what do you far? Think it'd be, what do you think would be a lame animal? I don't know. I don't think I'd be like. I think you'd make a fine bunny. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's what I you think. You think I'd be a that's bunny? How I, that, that's how I think. That's what I think. Well, I appreciate that, since, Well, Since Buster's your favorite, I mean, why not? That's true. I, I was going to say I'm probably going to be a bear because I like bears. There you go. So, easy as that. All <laughs> yeah, right. that was easy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, much easier than, uh, you know, what would you do if money were no object? That's a little bit more that's of a true. That's question. true. That's kind of a, or what would I do if a time machine? Would you go back and make the animals not extinct? How does that, the mm. butterfly effect? Anyway. I'd probably never use it. Too much anxiety. All right. Well, let's get into... Arthur episodes. Finally, it's been a while, and uh, we certainly came back firing 
on all cylinders with, first off, I'm a poet. So I've been waiting to do this one. This one has uh, been very interesting to me. And it starts off with Arthur. And this time he's not only speaking to us, he's reading us a poem. It's called My Sister is a Sissy by the poet Jack Prolutsky. So after I saw this episode when I was little, I went, I went crazy trying to find Jack Prolutsky poem books. And I will say that I actually do have one that I found recently when I was going through all of my stuff at my mother's place. Uh, it's a Jack Prolutsky book called A Pizza the Size of the Sun. Uh, it doesn't have any of the poems in here, but... Um, yeah, eventually I did get myself a, a Jack Prolutsky book, and he's a very good poet. I think there's a, uh, like, the small bibliography in the credits of this episode where at the end it actually says which collection yeah, d- all the poems yeah, in this episode are abs- from. Absolutely it does. And uh, speaking of bibliography, Jack Prolutsky is uh, a very uh, uh, very long bibliography he has. Check him out on uh, Wikipedia if you're, into, uh, if you're into poetry. Well, I actually didn't know Jack Prolecki was a real person as a kid. I guess I was, I've never, as someone who's such a big fan of hip hop, I've never been that much into poetry. But uh, it, it, as a kid, I don't think I like pondered it too long. I was like, oh, this is an Arthur character they made up to tell poems. But no, these are all real poems. I was surprised. There's even some non-Jack Prolecki pro- poems in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was uh, very interested to learn that he is a real person doing research for this rewatch. So the opening here is Arthur reciting this poem, and it's since it's called My Sister is a Sissy, you know, the main thing is, the main tying theme is that in this, you know, the sister is afraid of everything. And so it's all these cutaways of DW being afraid of various animals. And I got to say, like, this isn't not, this is not the only relation it has to the main story is that it's a poem by Jack Prolutsky and the episode's about poems. But this was, this was great. I, I loved this. Well, it takes a turn at a moment. Like, just when you think you're like, okay, I get what this intro is all about, it takes a hard left. So into like David Lynch territory. Arthur's gotten Arthur's gotten weird. Like the writers, (laughs) the writers and the animators have gotten weird here and there. But this opening is like they let their freak flag fly, and I and I love it. It went went nuts in a real serious way. So it's again, it's DW being afraid of all kinds of animals, and I must say that. All it is is basically DW coming face to face with various animals. So like uh, cats and dogs, um, like a a wasp, a rat. Which I'm not a fan of. I wouldn't be. A turtle. Right. There's guaranteed to be something, an animal in here that you're not crazy about. I got a chuckle at DW running away from the little bugs because my girlfriend does the exact same thing. Uh Yeah. That was funny. So does mine. But Uh, then. Well, well, hang on, hang on. Uh, What I was going to say is throughout all of these there are so many different screams that DW's voice actor has to do. And I have to say, uh, the kid has quite had quite the range. Like the, every single one of them, no two DW screams are alike. Mm. And he has to do so many different ones. Like, it, it, and, and I appreciated how much time that must have took and how hoarse DW was, was at the end, which is probably why maybe there isn't so much of DW in this episode. Just, you know, drinking some hot tea to make sure that uh, the voice is okay. Uh, but some of them go a little bit, Go a little bit out there. Um, first, I'll say. well, well, before we get to the big one, yeah, uh, I wrote down that there's there's two main ones that yes. are, are a little questionable. And I think, and I think, so the first one, first one was one that confused me when I was a kid, <laughs> and you know, because the line in the poem is she positively cringes at the prospect of a worm, and then it cuts to DW outside of a mine, and then all of a sudden a giant worm with a miner's hat, like a coal miner's hat with the headlight, 
just emerges and it's like, oh, the prospect of a worm because it's a prospector. Oh, I didn't even put two and two together. <laughs> well, it's, Whoa, well, uh, now that makes a lot more sense. It's it's super, it's super reaching. It's it. I mean, it's funny, but in a really obscure way. I was just having flashbacks to the Jeff Goldblum, the fly, <laughs> seeing at this giant worm. I was thinking about, I had just watched uh, Red Letter Media's newest video right before I watched this Arthur episode. Oh, where the, they the, do, late, the latest best of the worst? Uh, the latest wheel of the worst. Wheel of the worst. And there's one, there's a video in there about worms. Yes. Uh, it just so happens. So I had that on the brain as well and so I complete that that pun went completely over my head I'm glad you catched it now I'm, la- a now I'm, la- or worm. Now, wow. I'm now I'm laughing because of Mike's song about rich and his worm <laughs> I, I watched that like 10 times uh yeah and so that one is really really strange and it's so much that I didn't get it as a kid and it took being an adult that I was like oh uh, okay, but then it gets even crazier because, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the next the line here is she's afraid of things with feathers. She's afraid of things with fur. And it's D.W. reading a book on a park bench. And all of a sudden a bear like not a not a bear person like a bear bear is walking up like on its hind legs. Like carrying a chicken in its arm. And That's it's, right. It's like cradling a chicken. Yeah. And then it sits down with the chicken and then to DW's horror, then they just start making out. Like I'm not even joking. Like they, they go at it. They're kissing. I think what makes this strange is that like the worm with the spelunking hat kind of made sense because it was referenced <laughs> in the poem. Kind of. There was an internal logic to it, <laughs> I guess. Okay, sure. If you if you squint at it, all but right. But it's not like the poem is like, because, you know, the, this is this genre of almost uh, poetry y- aimed at young adults yeah. where it's the sort of Lewis Carroll, where the sidewalk ends, bizarro uh-huh. world, like what if... Mountains were purple. What if this? You could kind of make anything happen. Yeah. So if the poem was like, and then the bears kiss the chickens, I'd be like, oh, whatever. It's like sure. a crazy zany yeah. poem. This was completely the anima- animator's like editorial decision. Like, we need to have a bear and a chicken. Like, it needs to have a bear and something with feathers. Why don't we make a make out on the park bench? Why don't, why don't we make it sexy? Why don't, like, why don't we make ugh. him smooch up a storm in front of this ugh. young child? Very strange. And I think it's an Arthur meme alert. I think I've seen yeah. a gif of this yeah. or an image of this. Me too. Uh, and guess what? It doesn't make any more sense with context. No, it doesn't. It, it's completely out of nowhere and is never referenced again. <laughs> it's it's really quite something. I and think it's dethroned Donkey DW as the most bizarre thing we've <laughs> seen so far. Oh, oh. Easily, easily. Yes, I agree. But at the same time, I gotta respect it a little because it is just so bonkers. It's hilarious. Oh, it's it's, yeah. it's it's fantastic. It's written in all caps in my notes. Of course, the final line of the poem is, "She's scared of almost everything. How come I'm scared of her?" So a nice, almost a nice little capturing of Arthur and D.W.'s relationship there, perhaps unintentionally. So we start off the episode, it's all about a, a poetry contest that the library is putting on, and Mr. Ratburn brings this to the kids' attention, and Fern is the only one who signed up. So finally, Fern gets a name, to which Francine says, Fern never said she signed, she was into poetry, and Binky says, Fern never says anything. <laughs> and then Francine has a little dig at the poetry contest. She says, listen, I'm a poet. Moon, June, spoon, a loon. Which actually, like... 
off the top of the dome to pull out a loon like that. Bars. I'm I'm very impressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everybody's then it cuts to everybody having lunch, uh, and then Binky is kind of making fun of Fern even more. Just you know, just like, oh, listen, think about poems. Uh, it makes me sleepy. <laughs> and then Rattles gets a dig in there. So it's like Binky. You know what's more boring than a poem? <laughs> what? Two poems. So it was funny. I'm not gonna lie. I was. I was. Di- Maybe it's because I, I'm sort of. You know, as especially as a younger person, I always had this uh, perspective on like kids who were way into poetry in like high school. Yeah. And I was like, who are you guys kidding? Like those artsy types. Like much like a fern, I would always be like, who are you guys kidding? Like. Oh, I'm so cool. I know who Jack Kerouac is. <laughs> I'm I'm way into Alex Al, Allen Ginsberg and I'm in 11th grade. Hey, like Hey, careful now. I hung out with those kids. Um, for sure, but I always I, in a playful way, I always like sure. making digs at those kind of people, so I was sort of channeling Where rattles you going, in that Ginsburg? moment. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and then Fern finally has enough and she stands up and gets right in Binky's face and and says, "You only make fun because you couldn't write a poem if you tried. And Francine's like, that's the most she said all year. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so Fern is asserting herself here among the cast. Uh, then after school that day, Binky is, apparently his pride is quite wounded because he, like, Fern leaves the school and then Binky runs after her and is just like, like trying to like defend himself from that savage burn, and mm-hmm. in the, and, but also kind of inflicts a self burn here because he says maybe I couldn't write a poem, but neither could they. They're so just like. You know, it's like, I can't write a poem. You're right. But they're also, they, but them, they and, can't. And then he points to like the mob that's yeah, behind him. There's the, mo- like, the mob of main characters that are trailing. And there's so much, I had to watch this scene twice because there's so much like just off mic audio that's supposed to be coming from the background. There is. That if you really dig into it, it's hilarious. It's some of my favorite stuff in this episode is in this little sequence where this crowd of people are sort of harassing Fern from behind. And it's not just like background din, it's like they're actually saying things. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, Binky is, you know, asserting that he's better than everybody at poems, even if he can't write a poem. So, okay. Uh, He even says at one point, singling out Arthur, he says, I could write a better poem than you with my brain tied behind my back, Arthur. Some graphic imagery. Yeah. Binky's been reading some Clive Barker or something. Uh, So at uh, at this point, Fern kind of stops everybody and kind of tells him essentially to put up or shut up and uh you know everybody kind of saying yeah i could totally write a poem but nobody's really really throwing down so fern is throwing down the gauntlet herself that everybody should take part in the poetry competition and there is there is some good overlap here um in fact right as you know everybody's voices are growing and like you said there's a lot of voices in the background binky also singles out arthur again he says there's nothing arthur can't do that i can't do and i'm just like i don't know why he has this thing for arthur all of a sudden uh there is i'll single out my favorite line from kind of when everybody's voices pile up piles up on each other like clearly they just recorded these singularly because you can hear them quite clearly. It's not just like like just people yammering in the background. Binky says somebody hold me back or else I'll write a poem right now. Yeah, I wrote down that one. That was my favorite too. There's also I think a moment, so Fern's challenge exactly is that they have to write a full poem for the poetry contest Mm -hmm. 
or else they'll have to join the poetry club. For a year. For a year. That's correct. And, of course, nobody, I guess, wants to do that. That's, uh, I mean, kind of a limp punishment, but at the same time, I guess nobody wants to do it. It's also I, kind of unenforceable. Like, yeah. <laughs> w- w- I was thinking about this. Like, I get that th- this is nitpicking because, of course, if this challenge didn't exist, the episode wouldn't happen. But it's like, how is Ferd going to force them? It's like an extracurricular activity. She can't be like, Mr. Rapper, they made this bet. We got to make them go to this poetry club meeting. Going to be using the honor system. There you go. Just like the challenge. Like everybody's kind of talking, and then Fern just, you know, screams at them to be quiet, and her yell sets off a car alarm. I wrote that down too. It sets off car alarms in the in the background. I thought that was funny. So yes, everybody has to make a poem if they agree, or else they have to join the poetry club for a year. And then she and then she says like, "Bet or are you a bunch of chickens?" And I guess I just had chickens on the brain after yeah. the first. But like. I don't know if there are chicken people in Arthur, but given that it's like the name of an animal, do you think the chicken is maybe along the same lines as like baby? Do you think that's also a slur in Arthur's world? I don't know. Again, they've been playing fast and loose with these rules. Remember, people have already like commented on antlers and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like you Mm -hmm. with the antlers, if you remember. Yes. You uh, with the ears. Yeah, right. You with the ears. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. So I have no idea. I don't think so. I, I, I think... They just couldn't think of a better word for, like, coward. Sure. Uh, thinking thinking too much about this, am I? So everybody agrees uh, Arthur and Buster are especially stumped at how to do a poem. So, of course, they hit the library and decide to look at uh, great poems of yesteryear. So they do, you have a, do you have a favorite poem, Will? D- uh, of the ones that they read or just in general? Just in general, all time, favorite poem. <sighs> I don't know. Actually, I will say... Probably something by, um, well, okay, this is this is kind of cheating because they're uh, they're children's authors. But the first thing I think of when I think of poetry is either Robert Munch or Sherry Fitch. Okay. Uh, in terms of poetry, I don't know. Uh, I guess I haven't read as much of it as as I would have liked or as I think I have. So, uh, did you have one in mind? I mean, it's funny after we made. I, I also probably couldn't point to a singular poem that is like my favorite. I actually, in my older age, I do kind of like Howl by Ginsburg. It's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I, I wouldn't know if, I, I don't know if I'd call that my favorite poem. Hmm. I actually caught myself on the spot a little bit, but it is something to, uh, to look into. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember I, I was going again I was going through some of my old stuff I found a copy of The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot oh that's that is pretty good it is but like I, I'll be I'll be I'll be darned if I can understand it tell you what it's all about <laughs> I guess I guess this episode revealing that maybe I need to read more poetry but they are reading actual poems are Arthur and Buster and I made sure to look up all of them so Buster starts off with an easy one it's the walrus and the carpenter uh, from Alice in Wonderland, or at least that's where I know it from. Buster has one at some point. It's like, what's better than his dog? A little dearer than his horse. So I looked up that line, and it's all, and it's a poem called Loxley Hall by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Uh, and Arthur immediately bounces off that one because you know he's he says nothing's better than my dog. Skip this guy. He doesn't <laughs> like dogs. The must love dogs. Yeah. And then later on, they're in their treehouse, still looking over poems, and they. They list titles like The Haunted Palace and The Conqueror Worm, and those are both by Edgar Allan Poe. I actually Googled The Conqueror Worm because I wasn't familiar with that as a, a Poe poem. Yeah. And much like Buster, in my mind, I was like picturing like the worms from Dune when I yeah. heard the term Conqueror Worm. And it's I not, don't quite think it, that's No, it's, it's not quite there, but uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and then, again, it's probably because I had giant worms on the brain. Sure. Uh, and then finally, Arthur, uh, The Tale of Paul Revere. 
and they kind of take that as them being ready, but they kind of procrastinate. They're not really up to writing the poem just yet. But a couple of other kids have uh, written their poem. First off, we get the Brains poem. I thought that was kind of fun. I don't remember what the Brains poem was. So the was. Brains poem was, you know, I, the brain, will explain what makes rain. You know, the one that where he's talking about how rain is made. Oh, yes. And there's like a spit take from Arthur. Right, because... When he it, hears Brain it, has finished his poem, he like spits all of the, like, whatever he's his thinking milk, out. His yeah. milk. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also, Muffy finishes her poem as well. I thought this was terrible. I thought, again, I think this is the second time I've talked about something on Arthur being Migos-esque. Okay. But if you, like, put in an Atlanta trap beat behind that Muffy poem, I don't expect you to edit this because this would be very <laughs> editing intensive. But, like, you say Muffy's poem in the Migos cadence where it's like, I think it, it would it would, it would would go hard. Well, now I kind of want to. So, <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll see. I'll see. I bet no. it's way more complicated than you uh, might think. Yeah, absolutely it is. So the, they finished their poems already, even though Muffy's gets a little bit of criticism. Arthur's still working on his, and I love this, he's in his room kind of, like, writing down stuff that comes to his head and I thought this was a great look at like the process of just writing anything he comes up with this really whack line just uh, listen my children as I tell you about a duck and a chicken on a bus to Oklahoma and as, so- <laughs> and as soon as he says it he just goes like Ugh. like just crosses it out I actually when I was watching this I just like snorted when I heard the Oklahoma line it's so it's so terrible but Arthur knows it and I thought that was really funny he tries to enlist Buster's help, but Buster's too busy watching a video. Which I love this. I've made this excuse so many times, <laughs> but it wasn't actually me lying or anything. I was yeah. just like, I gotta watch this video, man. I can't hang out. Well, imagine if your buddy was like, hey, can you help me move a couch? And like, it's like, well, I'm not doing anything, but I'm busy watching a YouTube video. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and then DW actually has her own little poem here. I thought that's, I thought it was clever. The, uh, you know, my, my nose smells and your feet do too. I didn't get it when I was a kid. I was like, well, then so their feet smell and your nose smells. I was like, you know, your nose, your nose smells. I was like, why does your nose stink? Like, why does your nose smell bad? I think I've heard that one before. I think that's like a street like. Oh, it's a roses are red, violets are yeah, blue yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I think I might just be sick of roses are red, violets are blue. Tbh. <laughs> Arthur decides to enlist Fern's help in order to you know write a poem. He's really having trouble with this. Uh, goes to Fern's house before school, but then finds Buster catches him in the act, uh, trying to uh, use Fern's help as well. And then finally, Fern just lays it out straight for them. She's just like, "What? Why don't you just write about what you like instead of you know aping?" famous poems and then Buster says uh, who'd want to hear about what I like and then Fern just goes who wouldn't and I thought that that was actually something cool that she does this again later where Fern is actually like really super helpful and encouraging when people actually take the the poetry challenge seriously. Oh, it's true. Like she hasn't said anything negative about anybody's poems. She seemed delighted at Brains and even Muffy's. Yeah. Uh, she's just happy people are trying to get involved in the literary arts. She's not really here to critique people's poetry, whether it's good or bad. Right, exactly. And then we go to the library, which is the site of the poetry competition, uh, and we get our first guest voice of Arthur so far. I was going to ask you, is this the first time there's been sort of a guest character on the show? And many ones to come. I know that there's certainly some big stars ahead. In only a couple of episodes, we're going to get arguably one of the show's biggest stars. But I never, uh, congrats 
to uh, Jack Prolusky. I did not remember him being the first. Yeah, so Jack Prolutsky. Prolutsky, excuse it's, me. It's not a, it's not a, it's not, a, it's not a bad likeness. It Doesn't look exactly like him. As doesn't I have a beard. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure if have we seen an Arthur character with a beard thus far. Does his uncle have a beard? He kind of has a who, whose uncle? Arthur's. Arthur's, yeah. Um, I mean Arthur's grandpa. Excuse yeah, me. Arthur's grandpa has a mustache. He's got a mustache. It's kind of weird putting think, like facial think, hair over but, an animal. Uh, speaking, but, speaking of his uncle, I think the I think the uh, the guy from the from Arthur's family reunion. Oh, I yeah. think he did have a beard. He he I, or a mustache. I think he had a very Mario like yeah. Mario Bros. Super he show. He absolutely look. had the Captain yeah. Lou Albano. But uh, uh, no, I, I was going to say that it's kind of weird to put facial hair on the Arthur characters because mm-hmm. they're anthropomorphized animals. But the uh, the Jack. Maybe he didn't have facial hair at that time. When I Googled him to see what he actually looked like, in all of his pictures, he's got this big gray beard. For sure. Uh, Jack Prolitsky reading, or I should say reciting his poem, It's a Very Boring Day. Now, I don't want to... I don't want to be too critical of, you know, the guest voice performance because, of course, with that sort of thing, you know, it may be kind of varying how much acting experience they have. I will say that when Jack Proletsky was reading his poems, he was very animated. And I find that that's something that happens with storytellers and, you know, poets, especially ones that speak to a kid's audience, is that they know exactly how to read their stuff uh, for for a child for a child's audience. The reading was very, like, Munch-esque. Yes. And I know, I bet Jack would take issue with me saying that because he'd probably be like, I predate Robert Munch or whatever. <laughs> I don't know the exact, like, who came first, but it, that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, exactly, and I, that's what I was thinking of as well. Like, I had a ton of tapes of Robert Munch when I was a kid, and he was very good at reading the story with great energy. And I thought Jack Prolutsky really helped to animate, you know, just, you know, little things just like, today is very boring. I can... <sighs> Hardly help but yawn. I'm like, ah, very nice touch, sir. Or like at a, his poem at the very end of the episode when he says jellyfish stew, jellyfish he sort stew. of says it all in a cadence like he's underwater. He's yeah. like, jellyfish stew. J- jellyfish stew. I'm loony for you. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I thought that he did very well in that regard. So then we get the rest of everybody's poems. I'll just quickly say Ferns because really we come into Ferns right at the end because I think the idea is that Ferns is so good that like – we couldn't write it to be so good, so we just thought of this great closing line. Sounds like some granola BS to me, Will. Oh, I like Some hippy-dippy nonsense. I liked it. It was like a Woods of Ypres song. Uh, <laughs> and then we get the rest of the poem. So first, it's Francine's poem. This one was almost like slam poetry, because Muffy's on the bongos. Yeah, she's hitting the bongos. And, 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 and it reminded me of that sequence in Rent, where they're like, the cow, the cow. Oh. <laughs> that's well I'm, tr- I'm trying to I'm trying to pay it pos- I'm trying to be positive about it you're comparing it to rent here uh, <laughs> I'm glad we both feel the same way about rent yeah me too I really am uh, but yeah it, and Francine's you know the rhyming structure is a little it's not as rigid as the other ones and I thought this one was pretty cool uh, then we get Binky's poem. Now, correct me out, oh. uh, if I'm wrong. At this point, like, as the kids are telling their poems, it's sort of edited together with Arthur rushing to get to the poetry yes. slam, right? Yes. And I always – I thought that was actually really cool the way they did that because they could have just did it linearly where it's like, okay, every kid, every kid presents their poem and then we see Arthur trying to get there. But we – it's almost um, like – it's like almost edited like a Soderbergh film or something where like <laughs> the character's poem's reading is narrating over the action of Arthur trying to get there yeah. and then coming up on all these obstacles. Uh-huh. It really adds like – a, uh, a ticking clock to the sequence, like there's a pace to it uh-huh. that it wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, so I, I and I bet it's if it's like 
if kids were just getting bored of these cartoon characters reading poetry and they had just animated like the character reading it, yeah. uh, I bet it's to, like to keep those kids entertained and I appreciated that. For sure. Binky's poem, this was bad. <laughs> oh, I mean, I art mean, subjective. Uh, yeah, for sure. And and I mean, like, listen, they're kids. I'm not, you know, but you know, it's he's rhyming, like Muffy says, he rhymed poem with poem four times. But again, the important thing here is that Fern is very encouraging and gives him an extra round of applause. So I it's about it's about the effort more than the product. I had a perfect joke for this. There was a rapper who recently got in trouble because he rhymed something with something twice, and people were goofing just, on him. Just one rapper? Uh, well, like there was one recently where it was like Big Sean or someone, but I couldn't for the life of me remember it. But it was like perfect for this. Like they had some whack rhyme where it was like I'm gonna rhyme this word with this word, mm. and it's like ooh, no good. And then finally we get Buster's poem. This was fun. It was actually kind of reminded me. It was a little slice of like '90s gross-out humor because it's all this like. You know, it's like snot and like drool and all that kind of stuff. Some real garbage, ba- garbage pale kids. Yeah, stuff. I was thinking of that book series Barf O Rama. Yeah, the oh, Booger Man for the Genesis. Yes, that kind of stuff. And then finally, before Mister Prolutsky can name the winner, Arthur speeds into the uh, into the library and gets his poem out there. This one was good. Like Arthur really took us on a journey. What I actually really like about the Arthur poem is, unlike the other ones, um, it gives us a visual element, and I like that more than the poem itself. Like if I was just listening to the poem on its own, like our listeners did, uh, I think. It works better with, I love the way the artist drew the monkey. It's, again, not an anthropomorphized monkey. It's supposed to be sort of, uh, uh, it's like a King Kong-esque story, but a little bit more lighthearted, a lot less murder and death. It's like like King Kong, but if it was Donkey Kong. Like you you slap a red tie on Jimmy the Ape, then he is Donkey Kong. I don't know, man. Donkey Kong straight kidnapped Paulina. You know what I'm saying? Cold-blooded kidnapping. Paulina. Uh, And then... Mario kidnapped his son, so there's a whole kinds of drama with Donkey Kong. Yeah. But I, I did like, like, I really did like the way they drew uh, the monkey. Like, he's got a really happy face, and I felt really bad for him when he's like, oh, I don't want to be in the city anymore. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed this whole sequence, though. It was very, it, it, it felt like I had to look up, because for a second I thought, like, Arthur had just, like, plagiarized someone else's poem. It yeah. really came off as, like, if it was one of Jack's poems or uh, an already well-known one. So right. I was surprised to know it was original for the show. I thought it was cool. Uh, so, and then finally, Jack Prolutsky says, the winner of the contest is, I hate contests. You all win. Bullshit. I was going to say. Somebody has to win. Some more granola nonsense. Yeah, that, no, I can't talk with that. So we're going to determine it here. Lucas, who do you think won the poetry contest? Ooh, you're putting me on the spot. So we got, so keep in mind, we have, we have brain. We have brains happened off screen, we're to imagine. No, no, brains happened. Well, I mean, he would have performed it again at the thing. Yes, I'm assuming that the ones we've heard so far are the ones that were performed. So there's brains, there's muffies, uh, there's ferns, which I think is, well, we didn't, we didn't hear the whole thing, so we can't judge the whole thing. Um, so Francine's, Binky's, Buster's, and Arthur's. I might actually say on technical skill, I'm going to say Brain. Okay. Uh, I think Brain's was the most advanced and like he had the best like word play in yeah. his. But I'll think it, by just pure enjoyment, I'll, I'll say Arthur's. I liked Arthur's the best. Right. I think Arthur's is deserving be- uh, because it is... Uh, um, I think it tells the uh, tells a great story, uh, but I would actually say for me the winner is Francine. I liked how outside of the box hers were hers was. She didn't feel the need to stick to structure. She had like visual aids for it. I thought it was real. I thought it was really creative. Maybe I didn't like it as much because I was just thinking about rent. 
Yeah, maybe so. But I didn't <laughs> let that drag it down. So there we go. Our winners, Arthur and Francine. And then finally, Fern says, nobody has to join the poetry club because they all did the challenge. And then everybody vehemently you know, steps up and just like, no, I want to join the poetry club. You can't stop me. I want to join. In fact, I think Binky says, you can't stop me if, if I want to join. And then they, which, I, which I thought was kind of uh, a little bit un, un, unrealistic, in, yes, in a cartoon show. But it's just like everybody suddenly wants to join the poetry club after writing one poem. But I guess they all got something out of it. Watch them all quit like after week two. Oh, I got to go to a poetry club this Thursday? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. That's my thought too. And then uh, Jack Proletsky ends the episode with a reading of his uh, poem, Jellyfish Stew. Uh, yeah, and there you go. That's I'm a Poet. Speaking of talking about our favorite poems and poetry classes and stuff, this is a quick aside, but I just remembered uh, when I was in grade 10, in drama 10 in high school, uh-huh. uh, we had an assignment where we had to like submit a poem and then like have like a little blurb about what we thought the poem was about and sort of deconstruct it. Yeah. And I remember this guy Close in my class, Jamie McIntyre, uh, didn't want to do it. And he's like, Mancini, do this assignment for me. <laughs> so the poem I submitted was Good Day by Ice Cube. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was like, yes, in this song, Ice Cube's talking about how he got a triple double and his his mother <laughs> cooked him a very nice breakfast. <laughs> the gang bangers just let him drive by. There's also a part in that song where I don't want to, I don't want to get lewd here, but Ice Cube describes some acts he partakes uh, partakes in in the nighttime hours yes. that I had completely forgotten because I just copy-pasted it from <laughs> the lyrics page and then wrote about it from memory. And so this guy got into trouble with the teacher because she was like, this is absolutely not appropriate. There you had go. It, had it been me, he didn't really defend himself because he didn't do any of the project. Had it been me in that position, I would have been like, oh, there is absolutely literary merit to this Ice Cube poem and then I'd probably like point to some Poe story where there was some sort of sexual element. Put on some, put on your Mara Ranallo voice and just been like this is a, this is exactly what you're looking for. <laughs> Mamma mia! Exactly. Today was a good day. Um, did the, did he did he bully you into doing that? Like, did he threaten physical violence on you? Uh, no, Jimmy McIntyre is an idiot. I thought it was funny. Oh, okay. I I, I uh, uh, also ain't nobody bullying bullying me. They try to bully me, they're gonna get arm triangle whoa jiu-jitsu style no i'm just kidding there you go but, come uh, at me bro uh but i uh i i thought it was i i always like english assignments right so i just mm-hmm. thought it would be a fun thing to do especially to prank him by d- picking something that i purposely knew would not fly right uh, ice cubes the good day but i could talk about the lakers beating the supersonics all yeah. day long yours didn't you didn't get to see the uh uh word from us kids because oh, did, I, I didn't no no i didn't either what, what did we call that segment where we make up what we thought words from us kids was it was like word from us adults or something yeah no uh, uh sure but but it's this one's kind of this one's kind of a slam dunk of just like they're probably just doing poems right? oh good point uh after right? what was that other poem that they did that i had never heard of before in the it was one of the first uh word from us kids they had this thing where it was like you spell something out, and then every word. It was, I, I remember oh, you explaining it to me, and me finding it yeah. way more complicated than it should have been. I don't remember. Anyway, hopefully they do something a little bit. I'm kind of Darn. sad that we missed out on all these kids' bars. Yeah, me too. Because I'm sure some kids, we had some. Maybe there was like a young, some kid had a real hip-hop swag with the way he wrote his poem. Maybe, I, would, maybe. I would love to see that, but alas, who's, it exists in our imagination. Who's, who's a Boston-area rapper that's, like, our age right now? A Boston-area rapper? There's none that I can think of that are our age, but, like, when I think of Boston-area rap, I guess I think, like, Chumbawamba, but they're more from <laughs> Ireland because a lot of Irish people moved to to Boston. Or uh, or um, uh, not Naughty by Nature. Uh, or is it Naughty by Nature? Who does... 
who does um, Jump Around. Jump oh, House around. of Pain. House of Pain. That's what I'm thinking of. House of Pain is House like, that's again, an Irish rap. That's the closest House, thing I can think of. House of Pain were rap. definitely not in elementary in 1996. No. <laughs> they were very popular in 1996. <laughs> yes, they were. Uh, okay, so the Scare Your Pants Off Club. Uh, Arthur starts this episode once again, and he is deep into a Scare Your Pants Off Club book. And he is uh, talking about, you know, have you ever had a book that you couldn't put down? And Arthur cannot put this one down. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had a like a book that you couldn't put down? Oh, for sure, absolutely. Now you're gonna look at me and ask me to say what it was. I cannot remember, but I, I know I've I've read books. It, like most books, actually, if they're not like that, I have so little free time these days. When a book I can put it down, it usually gets put down for good. You know what I'm saying? I put for that sure. book, take that book behind the shed, and it gets put down. <laughs> so uh, it really Darn. does have to be a ch- page turner for me to stick with it. For sure. Uh, the ones that I thought of, first of all, when we were in the middle of the craze, uh, Harry Potter. Just so the sheer fact of like you had to read it or else you were behind and you couldn't talk about it with everybody else. So like I speed read the mess out of those and I don't remember a lot of from it because I didn't exactly retain the information. Uh, the other ones are uh, the better wrestling autobiographies that I've read. So like Bret Hart's book, um, Mick Foley's first book, the Hardy Boys book. Actually, I, st- I stayed up late reading all of those books. Did you read Daniel Bryan's book? That's really yes, good. I did. But I but I didn't stay up late. I read that in the hospital. Ah. Uh, uh, um, but yeah, no, that was that was a real page turner as well. I also uh, I read um, Shogun in high school or junior high. I read Shogun, which is a meaty, meaty read, mm. but uh, it's very, very good. So that's cool. one I'd recommend. And uh, I would also probably say uh, The Watchmen. Uh, the first time I read that, I, I had a real hard time. I think I like devoured it in two days or something. And so Arthur is just reading this absolutely everywhere, getting uh, getting sucked into it. It actually made me miss uh, when that would happen to me for books because would, I would do that all the time. I used to like read Walking Home after after school. And of course, the thing that I immediately noticed and that it's hard not to is that the Scare Your Pants Off Club is pretty much your analog for the popular, uh, very popular during the mid-90s uh, children's book series Goosebumps. Or or um, Scary Stories as well is the thing I thought of. Yeah, uh, the but... The one with those black and white pictures? Yeah, uh, sure. But, yeah. F- but I think it's more meant to be Goosebumps because Goosebumps was like a serial of... Uh, of different books like they had the like because scary pants off clearly has like title after title after title you're right Sc- uh, scary stories had three three great books by the way really was there only three scary stories books mm-hmm. i could have sworn there were more huh? no i have i have all three trust me and uh, yeah but uh yeah goosebumps was you know heavily serialized and yeah. uh, had the book after book after book and it was so so popular like it was everywhere it was in your school library it was in your library library i mean there was all kinds of goosebumps did you ever get into them only the TV show. Me too. Uh, and have you? What was the last time you watched an episode of the wonderful Canadian production Goosebumps, the TV show? Fairly recently, actually. Oh it's, yeah, uh, what'd you think? It's not great. It's not great. <laughs> and well, you know it, what? It's also not as like. I find episodes of the from what I've watched, the episodes like Goose of Goosebumps I've watched are less like so bad it's good, funny. They're kind of more boring. Whereas like mm. you watch, Are You Afraid of the Dark? That stuff is. Hilarious. I strongly recommend. I know it's on Netflix in Canada, but if you haven't seen it, 
Are You Afraid of the Dark is so, so funny. Yes. Uh, in, in Taken in a modern context. But another great Canadian horror anthology production. I don't know what it was about horror anthologies, but they were all filmed in Canada. Yeah. Goosebumps, Are You Afraid of Dark, Friday the 13th, the TV show, also filmed in Canada. It's because it's cheap to film in Canada. <laughs> That's right. Those Vancouver tax credits are just Vancouver, making Mon- the money flow. Montreal, yeah. No, you're right. Uh, <laughs> when, I, when I watched Goosebumps, I was kind of... It's, yeah. Uh, th- I, for some reason, Are You Afraid of the Dark just ages a little better I, b- by the sense of, like, it's actually kind of just silly and fun. Uh, and occasionally kind of uh, kind of scary. Goosebumps' better theme song, though. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so Arthur is just wrapped up reading this book, and it's obviously going to be all about this book series as we start. Uh, we start on a Saturday morning as Dad is making his world-famous whoopee waffles. Damn, I want some whoopee waffles. Now, what, what makes them whoopee waffles? Like, uh, why? What, what's whoopee about them? Well, for one, uh, when people see them, they go whoopee. Well, sure. Uh, but two, I assume, like, because Arthur's dad's not one to take an ego out the box and put it in the toaster, no he's probably got a waffle press or something, and so he makes the uh, the, the mix possibly from scratch. He is a baker by, the- by trade. So I'm assuming it's, like, his homemade – maybe he's throwing some crazy stuff in there, like – some nutmeg up in those buttermilk they, waffles. Could be. Like, they do look pretty thick AF. But I thought maybe when I was a kid, I was like, what, are they filled with, like, cream or something? Like, like no. I, I just wondered what made them whoopee waffles. Like, they, like they had to be if – if it had the name, it had to be special in a way. Sure. I bet it's the, uh, the devil's in the details. And he's probably got some amazing waffle recipe. I mean, I've been to different breakfast restaurants here and there where they make their own waffles. And, yeah. like, you could tell the difference between a good waffle and a better waffle. For sure. Especially when you compare to like an ego or something like you said Arthur is on his way out the door like can't get out fast enough and has to slam down a waffle like by orders of his dad like just just next that waffle like a beer just kind of chews a little bit and then just swallows it at least half still formed and I was shaking my darn head man I was thinking about like if someone offered me homemade waffles you couldn't big you, old stacks you couldn't keep me away from the house that's right you'd have to pull me from that chair you'd have to take the waffles away from me put some butter and syrup on that man I I am in the kitchen for an hour. Mm. And then so Arthur is on his way because he has to get to the library to be first in line to borrow the new Scare Your Pants Off Club book. And remember, The Mysterious Hand was a Scare Your Pants Off Club book. Oh, yeah. Do I ever? (laughs) There's not a lot of stink that mom and dad can raise about that because their kid wants to run to get to the library. So just like, uh, all right, all right, well. And this isn't like like your libraries nowadays. I was just going to say the exact (laughs) same thing, Will. It's not like he's running to go play Minecraft. (laughs) (laughs) Mom and Dad, I gotta go to the library. Oh, it's great. He's reading. Cut to League of Legends tournament. Yeah. No, he's not. He's he's not going to surf the internet. He's not learning how to play D and D. He's not playing his local Xbox One. No, he's going there to read, son. (laughs) These new fangled libraries. I'm gonna watch Seven on DVD at the library. (laughs) Arthur runs out of the house, and he's got. We realize that uh, it's. In the fall, because everybody's got their fall clothing variants on, like jackets and coats and stuff. And like I said before, in fashion, what's old is new again. Everybody's styles right now look straight out of 2017 with all the bombers and the windbreakers and stuff. That whole look has totally come back. That's true. Everybody's dressing like Mac DeMarco in this lineup. (laughs) Uh, Francie's got like her varsity thing on, Mm. which, but still like that design, you're right, is is pretty in right now. And of course, Arthur gets there. He's pretty much at the back of this huge line outside the library along with all his friends. 
And, uh, you know, they're just like, guess we should have met earlier. Then they're just like, well, I guess we could find some of the old ones to read again. And we get a couple of the names of Scare Your Pants Off books, like Curse of the Mummy's Breath, uh, Bones in the Attic, and Zombie Substitute Teacher. Now, those three, and clearly two of them are like, tee-hee-hee, this is like our parody of horror books. Bones in the Attic sounds like it could be pretty hardcore. Yeah, it's true. But that could mean all sorts of things. Exactly. Like, like it, that could just be a true crime, like <laughs> welcome, like serial style podcast about the bones, bones in the, the attic. Yeah, I just finished S Town. Me too. I finished S Town too. I was just thinking, just we're on the same wavelength this week. We're watching Red Letter Media. We're listening to S Town. Now I found these bones in the attic. What do you? I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> wow, that really got gotcha. you. Oh my goodness, I haven't. Well, I haven't heard anybody parody S Town yet, so I can't. And I, I can't I, believe it hasn't happened yet. Uh, that's that's so funny. I found these bones in the attic. I found these bones in the attic. And the funny thing about the these bones in the attic. We, so we went out into the attic, and it was like nothing I've ever seen. And he said, "Oh yeah, this old attic has been around here for as long as I can remember." I was, I was amazed by all the, 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 the yeah. That's so funny, Will. John B. Oh Ma- John B. McLemore took me out to his his garden maze. His garden, it was bones Ta- in the garden. He had the, all these scarier his collection of scarier pants off books then lined he took, the walls. Then he took off his shirt to reveal his tattoo. This is yeah, that's hilarious. Oh boy, yeah, S Town, check it out. They are in the line just talking about their favorite scarier pants off books, and then it gets kind of gets kind of spooky. Gets kind of spooky, scary skeletons over here. Everybody's kind of imagining ghosts and otherworldly spirits as the doors of the library open. Little did they know the most terrifying thing of all was censor- censorship. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. Miss Turner comes out and uh, says that all Scare Your Pants Off books have been removed from the shelves until further notice, which she kind of delivers very matter-of-factly, but I gotta believe from you know knowing people who worked at, work at libraries and just kind of you know having a bit of that insight, I bet she was furious about those being taken off the shelves. For sure. It's funny. So this is the point where I realized what this episode was really about. It's like, and also this is a kind of a time and place episode because this kind of thing still kind of goes on, Mm. but with the advent and popularity of the internet, not as much, but there was that era in the late 90s where there was sort of scares about everything, especially not to get too dark, but after Columbine and stuff like that, people were pointing to things like trying to ban Marilyn Manson CDs. People tried to ban NWA in the 80s. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. I was going to say it, go, it goes before that, like yeah. in the 80s with the uh, the content labeling for CDs yes. and like Tipper Gore. The Dungeons and Dragons scare. Everybody yes. thought their kids were getting to Satanism. S- Satanism. Uh, heavy um, metal. Mortal Kombat. Night Trap. Yeah. Uh, and then even most recently, like thinking about this whole thing. Actually, I'll save that for later. But there okay. there is a, a, a moment in this that reminds me almost uh, scarily of a real life person. Uh, and this would have this episode would have come before all of that, so okay. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. Okay. But this episode, it, it was kind of a fun flashback for me because it's a very time and place thing. Of oh yeah, I remember when like people were trying to ban things all the time, specifically Ol- like kids media, like only '90s kids will remember this. Only yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, and that is what it indeed turns into because Arthur and Buster are watching the news. That's right. They even have the fun acronym. Back at Buster's Place. (laughs) And uh, the books were banned because of a parents group called PAWS, PAWS. And it stands for Parents Against Weird Stories. And it's it's really... 
like I gotta say, they really kind of did their. I mean, I I say did their homework, but I'm sure it was everywhere around then. Uh, just of that's this sounds exactly like something that probably did happen. Uh, like parents groups and you know the conservative right kind of getting together and you know deciding censorship is the thing to protect, make sure to protect our kids. That's right, taking out and and it's actually. I mean, there's been tons of cases of it actually happening with books in schools, like Huckleberry Finn, for instance. Right, like, that, like that's that. that's a classic band book. Yeah, uh, you know all all that all that kind of stuff, uh, and the author. They try mention they try to get in touch with her name is E A Depoe. Did you get Did you get the joke there? Because this took me like twenty years to figure out the joke. Well, it's I know it's like a play on R L Stein, but I didn't I don't know so initial is. initial yeah last okay name. I, I didn't I didn't realize that that's a good one it's I totally missed whatever you're e, about to say E A Depoe just take out the duh E A Poe Edgar Allan Poe. Ah! Oh, I yeah, went over my head. Interesting. And of course, it turns out later that it's a pen name. I'm just like, all right, well, that's that's kind of fun. Uh, I will say here, I I kind of had again, we're on kind of a similar wavelength because I was thinking with your director's cap on, because as Buster goes to turn off the TV, he kind of points the remote at the screen, turns the power off, and then we get the brief flash of red. And just to indicate the TV turning off, I thought that was kind of a cool touch. I love details like that. Yeah. So Arthur, Buster, Francine, and the brain are trying to f- like figure out if they can do anything. And Arthur's really charged up about this because, of course, Arthur Reed. And he doesn't want to see his favorite book series go away. And he tries to mobilize them. He says, come on. We can't give up. We never gave up before. And then Buster and Brain are just like, sure we have. Lots of times. <laughs> Just is <laughs> a classic like your friend, your friends being realistic when you're charged up about something. You're just like, yeah, we have. Well, Brain busts out my favorite line of the episode. He's very matter of factly says, generally speaking, minors have limited access to legal recourse or arbitration. Now, it's, these these are funnier in hi- in hindsight watching this as I'm older because I totally understand everything <laughs> Brain's saying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm just like, well, yeah. Brain's making like total sense in this instance. He's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they talk about a couple times. When when you know they banded together and got stuff done, like when they helped Arthur clean out his garage so they could go see Galaxy Avengers. Now this is easily ten years before the Marvel Cinematic Universe started to take shape. So we get a little mashup here of Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Another thing Arthur has predicted. Uh, and then the other one was them trying to help Buster with math, and they've got these giant cue cards, and Buster isn't quite getting it. Uh, so then they decide what they can do is uh, create a petition, which is actually something that isn't so much of the time. In fact, I'd say it's more timely now than maybe it was back then. Uh, be- so Arthur's idea is that if they get enough signatures from kids and they'll show the parents group that enough kids really want their books back and are willing to stand up and raise their voice about it. So petitions obviously have been something, not anything new. But I find that petitions are something that come along a lot these days, especially with the advent of change.org. Mm. A lot of online petitions to remove things or keep something going to the point where I think, you know, online petitions are totally useless now. Well, I was just going to say, um, I was going to say that, like, I I wrote down that the this episode kind of overstates the power of petitions, but I think that's a pro- another, again, a product of the time. Yeah. I think when people actually had to, like, 
approach people on the street and get them to sign something with a pencil, right. uh, then delivering that name of that list you, of thousands of yeah, names. Yeah, when you have to, the mounds uh, of uh, mounds of paper in your yeah, hand. So that's that image is a lot more powerful when it's not as convenient of going, Oh yeah, I'll support this and type yeah, it on your keyboard. Exactly. Uh, so they decide to uh, round up signatures through various activities, such as Buster being a uh, a carny and getting Arthur to tightrope walk over his kiddie pool, which uh, doesn't go too well. It's not exactly much of a show. Arthur just kind of starts in the middle and then just falls. But you know what? The crowd only reacts once he's fallen, once he takes that bump into the water. Yeah. It's like it's like Arthur's uh, it's like Arthur's mankind off the cell moments. I was going to say, it's like Arthur, Arthur's in an FMW show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we get more like Francine's doing a bit of a jump rope game and asking people to... Uh, uh, sign the petition there. Brain has this uh, very long-winded and verbose presentation to adults, and I thought this was funny. Like they're all kind of like confused, and Brain's like, "Is it not obvious why you should sign?" And they're just like, "No, but we'll sign if you stop explaining why we should." So it's like, "All right, well, that's one way to get him." Uh, other ways like Prunella getting the help of people at roller rinks. Sue Ellen's like running after joggers. I must say, in like the jogging scene and in the uh, jump rope scene, these people have immaculate handwriting for people who are on the run. <laughs> Uh, I just thought that was kind of funny. And then Arthur is kind of doing the just just uh, doing the shoelace express, as Lucas Mancini would say, and just getting people signatures that he finds. And he happens to run into who we don't realize yet, but is the author of Scare Your Pants Off. That's right. Uh, runs into E.A. DePoe herself. Which even having seen this episode before, you could guess a mile away because it's like, True. I haven't seen this character before. She doesn't look like a character model. I wonder if uh, this is important to the plot. Right. She has a very distinct uh, look about her a very distinct voice and kind of speaks very mysteriously like at the end of their encounter Arthur's like you forgot to sign and I'm like ah because that would tip tip Arthur off and then we finally get to business about who is behind pause uh Muffy runs into the gang uh, when they're out for signatures, she kind of hides from them. And then later on, they're getting ice cream, and Muffy comes up to them and says, who'd like to go to Wonder World for free? I'm having a big party there for all my friends, and you're all invited. But then, our, uh, excuse me, Buster spots on a uh, TV, a window in a store, that Muffy's parents are on TV, and then we get it. Ed and Millicent Crosswire are the people behind Paws. And I must say, of every, any... Any character in the Arthur universe, the Crosswires are the perfect pariahs to stick on an uptight conservative group like this one. Like, they, you need a bad guy, they could be your bad guy. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Crosswire and Mrs. Crosswire started Paws to save other kids because, you know, the scary books gave Muffy nightmares. And, which is, you know, as we'll find out, completely preposterous. And Muffy reveals that anyone who... Uh, does the campaign against Paws can't come to her awesome party. She, like, rented out a theme park yeah, or something. Yeah, theme park, yeah. And so then we're faced with an actual kind of a moral conundrum. Uh, do they sell out their ideals to go to an awesome party, or do they stick to their guns and miss out on fun? So that's actually, for a kid, that's some moderately high stakes. It's interesting because thinking about it now, I didn't actually realize this until we're now looking back at this episode, but it's given the time and place this episode was made, it's interesting that it takes a stand on this subject at all. Because this wasn't, like, in retrospect, we could be like, oh, remember when people were trying to ban everything? Yeah. Wasn't that silly? But at the time, this would have been, like, right in the middle of, like, 
trying to ban all that stuff. And right. so it's kind of, for lack of a better term, ballsy of the Arthur writers to take a stand on this subject. It's not often Arthur gets political. It's usually just like general lessons, like, oh, this is good, be nice to each other. General life advice. This episode takes a straight up stand on an issue that some people were on the other side of. You're you're right, but I will I will counter that by saying this is absolutely, absolutely the issue that Arthur, the show would come would come down on because it has to do with kids literacy. Mm, that's true. Like it's something that I feel strongly about too. And I imagine that well, I I think that this episode does a really good job of communicating how important this is, but there are even like there's more depths to it of the sense that, you know, when you ban this book, you're really depriving kids of an opportunity to read, to learn and to continue their journey reading. Like as 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 E.A. DePost says later in the episode, she's like, that's why uh, writers work so hard uh, to make stories kids like to read so that they will keep reading and then it will become a part of their lives. And I think that this is absolutely for a character that is so fundamentally tied with literacy. Of course, this show would absolutely have something to say about this. And I think it's good. I think it's good that they did have something to say. Um so Arthur's kind of ruminating over this. He's really not sure what he wants to do between like what his heart wants and what his head says. We also get a bit more of Dad's clowning in the background. We've kind of seen him in a bit of a clown getup before. It's uh, a great juxtaposition reunion. because uh, uh, Arthur's mom is like doing taxes or something. Yeah. And Ar- Arthur's dad's getting ready to be a clown at a benefit. Yeah. It shows the difference between their two personalities and professions. And it's and he also says, can't be afraid to look like a fool for something you believe in. And just like, well, there you have it. Uh, then it's the next day at the uh, at the um, Mr. Crosswire holds a uh, uh, like a what do you call it? A press conference. Uh, and, you know, just to, again, just espouse what Paws is doing. Arthur comes up with, you know, the huge, huge bunch of signatures in his hand. And, like, Mr. Crosswire takes it from him and just basically, like, sweeps it under the rug. Like, he, yeah, could, that, not, he could not care less. It's why I almost rescinded my earlier remark about this uh, episode overstating the power of, po- uh, of uh, I almost said P- power petitions. of positivity. positivity. Uh, the power of petitions. Because it actually, actually happens like I expected it to. And he goes, that's nice that you got all those names I don't care believe me we're doing this for your own good and honestly if EA DePoe hadn't stepped up then Arthur's work would have been for absolutely nothing like the only the only way that he got in touch with her was from doing the petitions but it wasn't the petitions themselves that made a difference it was just letting her know about what was happening which I can't believe that she didn't know it's like what brain said limited access to legal recourse that's true uh, which is kind of which is kind of too bad because it's like well this the show is meant for kids and it's told from a kids perspective so telling them that they are kind of powerless in this situation is you know I mean, maybe a bit of a hard truth but also maybe something you could have sugarcoated a little bit anyway EA Depot shows up at this uh, at this press conference and Mr. Crosswire exclaims that it's uh, Ms. McWord his grade school English teacher again a little on the nose there with McWord mm. but you know whatever uh, children's show and she kind of sticks up for uh, uh, the books and then reveals that she wrote them. E.A. DePoe is her pen name. And then Muffy goes crazy. Well, so right before this, yes, okay. Uh, she asks Mr. Crosswire, has he ever read any of the scarier pants That's right. That's right. That's the big question. Um, and so this moment, it was so bizarre to me because 
Mr. Crosswire channeling the spirit of one lawyer, Jack Thompson, goes, I wouldn't read those books if you paid me. So he's criticizing something he doesn't know anything about. And I had flashbacks to when Jack Thompson famously said, when someone asked him, has he ever played a Grand Theft Auto game? Yes. I don't need to meet Abe Lincoln to know he was a president of the United States. (laughs) So, like, he used different words, but almost the exact same sentiment. You know there's, what I mean? There's Sentiment. A ge- there's a gesture me. I'm doing that I won't uh, repeat for the air, but yeah, come on, man. That's that's a that's a good pull. I didn't think of that. And uh, Mr. Crosswire kind of looks like Jack Thompson too. You think so? A little bit more built. He's okay. certainly of larger stature, yes. but they have a they they carry themselves in a similar way. Mr. Crosswire seems to fit into the mold of uh, of a bureau- bureaucrat up to no good of the many of the uh, comparisons we've made to his likeness before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get here some Muffy go, like fangirls that, that she's meeting EA DePoe and like empties out her backpack, which conveniently has all the books in it. And we get, so it's kind of the trope of the child of the campaigning parents happens to love the thing that their parents are against. And you know, she's like, I'm your number one fan. I have all your books and wants her to sign them. And then her parents realize that it wasn't the, uh, it wasn't the, books that gave her nightmares and then they ma- they managed to suss out exactly what it is. Mr. Crosswire says, I think I'm beginning to understand who ate my quart of Hasenpfeffer ice cream. So off the top of the episode, I figured out that you also Googled what Hasenpfeffer means. And it's, uh, it's a doozy, folks. So Hasenpfeffer, first of all, not an ice cream flavor. That's clearly a joke. But <laughs> Yeah, when you type in Hasenpfeffer ice cream, the first thing that pops up is this episode. This episode. It, Hasenpfeffer is a traditional German stew made from rabbit or hair. Mm. Uh, I've actually had the Hasenpfeffer now that I learned is, what it actually is. It, is. is it good? Yeah, rabbit stew is great. If, you, if, you, if it's well made, I, there's sure. a really good restaurant in town. That in real life, though. I don't have a problem with it. In the world of Arthur, Buster's right there, man. I know. So multiple things. One, I'm with <laughs> you on this one. I'm usually trying to stay open to the ice cream flavors. I do not think rabbit stew ice cream would taste very no, good. No, because it's made with like onions and stuff. It's it's a stew. Uh, and meat, Will. Do not forget the meat part as well. Yeah, but you you you, you were okay with cucumbers in your ice cream. Uh, yes, cucumbers are a vegetable, Will. <laughs> meat. We're talking about meat. What? Meat ice cream? <laughs> I don't even like meat when it's cold, let alone when it's in a milky cream. <laughs> you know what I just realized when you when you are when you when you are like enthused or like frustrated about something, you kind of take on the same speech pattern as Morty from Rick and Morty. Oh my goodness, <laughs> Rick, you you, you, you you can't be doing this, Rick. Rick, you, you gotta take responsibility. You gotta take responsibility for this, Rick. I totally, I could see that. I could see that. Which is funny because I recently found out that when uh, when my girlfriend has a little too much wine, she kind of hiccups in between her words and she oh, sounds- no, she becomes she, a Rick. She says, sounds like Rick. And it's uh, really funny. Oh, no. Um, uh, so, yeah. But the second thing is, not only would the ice cream flavor taste terrible and probably give any sane person nightmares. Yes. Uh, also, it's made from our, our Buster's ancestors? Uh, well, that's that uh, That's that radical animal husbandry at there use you go. again. Uh, They're breeding them specifically to be an ice cream. Gosh. Uh, yeah, so uh, we've, we find out that Hassenpfeffer ice cream, or more appropriately ice cream, because earlier in the episode, uh, Muffy uh, refuses the ice cream because it, she, because it gives her nightmares. So there you go. That's what was the real culprit. And then finally, we get what should have happened all along. 
Uh, Ms. McWard offers to read one of the books to Mr. Crosswire, and and unlike Jack Thompson, he agrees. <laughs> he decides to put his money where his mouth is. I for think once. I don't know. It's been so long. The early two thousands. I think Jack Thompson did eventually play a Grand Theft did he, Auto game. Did he really? I that era of like video games drama has been pushed out of my head because I think we've all come into agreement as a people that video games do not make kids violent. Yeah. But uh, I remember back then that was an issue I was very passionate about. Yes. I remember reading those Jack Thompson headlines and getting oh so so mad. Yeah. I really was the kids in this scenario I guess. Like that was the closest I've ever been to being like I, someone needs to put a stop to this and save the video. Who will speak for the video games? Turn, uh, turns out too many people. <laughs> I guess so. Isn't it funny the world how the world turns? Just follow just follow Nine Volt on Twitter oh, and you'll see geez. what I mean. Uh, and yeah, and Miss McWord reads a uh, reads an excerpt or maybe the whole thing of her book, The Haunted Hamburger Stand, and it changes Mr. Crosswire's mind. Uh, he decides to. Uh, He's let- already a fan of haunted meat based <laughs> foods, so. <laughs> Cursed meat. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Mr. Crosswire allows the books back on the shelves on one condition that that she reads another one. So she reads one that I I didn't really have a title, but I'm going to say it's called The Old Man. Uh, so, yeah, everything everything went better than expected and everything is back to normal. So I think that worked out pretty well. OK, so let's go all the way back to uh, I'm a Poet. What did you think? I thought it was okay. Okay. Uh, I liked, I learned a lot from this episode, which is interesting. Like, Arthur is usually an educational show in that it te- deals with lessons yep. rather than just cold, hard facts, much like Zaboomafu, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but I actually learned a lot about different children's poets and, mm-hmm. and, and poetry. And, like, I recognized poems, but I didn't know who wrote them. And so when I Googled them after hearing them in this episode, I learned some stuff. Right. Uh, but I also think this is an episode where, and the other episode has similar problems, where when they focus on an ensemble cast, it's fun because you get to see what everybody thinks about everything. So, yeah. oh, what Buster think about this? What's the brain think about this? You get to see, uh, you learn a little bit about each character, yeah. but it kind of makes the episode fly by and you can't really sink your teeth into it, especially because sure. they give so much time to the guest character in this episode. Yeah. So I had thought it had a good meaning. I thought it had some fun moments, but it wasn't like, a, for lack of a better term, meaty episode that I could sink my teeth into. Okay. Um, I, I I agree. With, I agree with you. I see. I see what you're saying. Uh, I think I maybe responded to it a little bit better than you. I liked it. I thought it was. I thought it was fun. Uh, I love it. I love episodes in general. Like you said, ensemble episodes, especially ones that kind of give us a peak into what their big interests are or like how they would respond to a certain challenge how they would uh, and this was definitely it I love seeing everybody's different take on what kind of poems they do I thought it really accurately reflected their characters I thought it summed up their characters very well and I thought they were very imaginative too and I must say like this is this goes for both of these episodes I really appreciate uh, you know as somebody who values uh, literacy. I was a big reader in my day, and I really appreciate children's media that uh, does its part to stand to stick up for literacy. And I think this definitely did it for poetry, which is something that I think uh, goes a little bit unheeded. You know, because you know, reading books is one thing; reading, uh, like, kind of sticking up for poetry is a little bit harder. And I think that that's kind of something that a lot of people can get value out of. In fact, like talking about it here makes me want to read more poetry. So I th- so I really uh, responded to it well, but you're right; it's not exactly uh, the most in-depth episode. Uh, I, I I will I will say very quick before we move on to the next episode. Uh, I thought 
I'm a poet was really well animated. I really loved the way that everything looked. Mm. I thought everything Like I said, really the well. ape sequence really stuck out. Of, yeah. Like the animated version of Arthur's poem. Mm. That's like a really interesting little sequence because it's almost animated with a different art style than the rest of the show. Or like the or like the part where Arthur looks into his watch and then it turns into Binky. Yes, that was a fun sequence as well. Yeah, there, I was I, like, Arthur's got an Apple Watch. <laughs> uh, then uh, the Scary Pants Off Club. I was really excited for this one because again, it's like a big literacy theme, and it was interesting seeing the parallels of it uh, being two two guys who grew up kind of when all of these controversies were going on, and two people are kind of interested in learning about that sort of stuff. I thought that was a very interesting way to parallel the things at the time and kind of help kids feel a little less powerless when adults are coming down against their favorite stuff, be it music or video games or books or what have you. Uh, I, yeah, I kind of like the previous ones. It's more of an ensemble thing. I didn't think that the the structure of the episode was super, super tight or anything. When, when In terms of both episodes, the resolution just kind of just kind of happens it, it isn't really they built, do, built up to uh, it's not quite a deus ex machina because they set it up earlier when Arthur uh, meets the author yes. near the middle of the episode uh, but it almost is with the way she kind of shows up and yeah. saves everything it's, at the end it's better it's better in the second episode in that it was built up a little bit more than in I'm a poet but at the same time it's just kind of like well as we said the resolution kind of comes almost without the involvement without the involvement of any of the other characters like if Arthur hadn't you know come upon her this wouldn't have happened at all like it was almost by chance and I felt that kind of took a bit of the power out of the characters which I thought was important I think you wanted to show just how much how much their efforts went towards getting their books back and it kind of didn't but at the same time I did have fun with it I, I liked you know reminiscing about you know goosebumps culture of the mid 90s I liked I liked thinking about how I liked kind of reasserting how important uh, literacy especially for kids is for me and the and I do like how Arthur is one of those series that I mean we'll never get this anymore but showing the importance of the library and I that really touches my heart because I uh I, I love the library. Well, don't worry. Kids are going to the library now more than ever where to play their Minecraft and their League of Legends. Fine by me. Fine by me as well. Um, scare your pants off. It's interesting. I actually was kind of bored watching this episode okay. uh, when I was watching it because I could see where it was going from a mile away. Sure. I was like... I don't think the books are going to be banned in the end, guys. <laughs> but you know what? This episode's actually grown on me over the course of this discussion. It's a really fun episode that, to talk about. That does happen from time to time. Uh, yeah. It's a really fun episode to talk about because I just, like you said, it's interesting. I haven't really thought about this era in a long time and about, um, you know, being a kid and reading all these articles about Jack Thompson when I was probably a little too young to be sure. even involved with this kind of stuff. Or like the Parents Television Council and, yeah, uh, the, yeah, and, the, yeah. and the WWF. Yeah, all, all that kind of stuff. I haven't thought about it in, in so long. And so thinking about that and thinking about how sort of um, you know, with testicular fortitude, the writers had to have to yeah. take a uh, take a jump and are a little bit of a risk and take a stance on yep. something like this. I think this episode is unique and it is uh, worth merit for that. Yeah. I also just think, in retrospect, it's not that fun of an episode to watch. Like it is sure. kind of boring, and it's one of those ensemble ones where you don't really get to spend too much time with anybody. So there's not a lot of motivation or stuff to bite into. But again, it's one of my favorite episodes to discuss. Mm-hmm. So far, so I, I, w- I will say I think you make a good point. Respect to the creative team for really taking a 
stance in this. And I th- and as I said, I think it is the stance that they would take in terms of anything political. But I'm glad that they did, even if it was, you know, 20 years ago or what have you. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Uh, if you know, if I had any Photoshop skills at all, I would totally put uh, Mr. Crosswire in the right to censor white shirt, uh, black tie. Yeah, or either that or there's like that famous picture of like Jack Thompson holding up GTA 4 and like I'm sure he's holding up a scare your pants off book at some point <laughs> in the episode. So. There you have so. it. It's uh, I'm a poet and the scare your pants off club. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, joining us for this episode. What did you think of it? We would love to know what you think. What do you think of uh, of books? What do you think of literacy? The library? Uh, Goosebumps? Is Goosebumps still going on? No. The book? You don't think? You no, don't think so? It definitely isn't. I know a girl who collected them all. So. Oh wow. Uh, I I know for certain it's not oh, still going on. Well, except except it got that uh, it got that movie. That's la- right, that movie, which I heard was okay. Last year? last year or two years ago? I heard that movie was like totally fine. Yeah, I I kind of expected that it might be. I was kind of interested in it. I I, I appreciated the. I re- I remembered that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, if you if you remembered that, then you have come to the right podcast. Uh, before we get going today, just real quick, the ways that you can get in touch with us, uh, facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Uh, you can go on over there. I will say we got a couple more five-star reviews. And I, and instead of leaving out anybody, I just want to run them down real quick. Five-star reviews to date from Iman, Nancy, Sharita, Jack, Aaron, Ramona, Joe, and Taylor. Thank you, everybody, for your kind reviews. We really appreciate it. And you can do that yourself at Elwood City, uh, Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. We're up to 50 followers on at ECL Podcast on Twitter. Thank you, everybody, for following us over there. Uh, sorry for the lack of content this week. Of course, just getting off a of vacation, just trying to get my mind right. But we'll be back to it with this new episode. Uh, we are on Tumblr. Tumblr.com slash Elwood City Limits. That's where a lot of our feedback from Zabuma Dudes came in. And, of course, a lot of love for that. And I made sure to uh, uh, put your name put your name on the forefront there because, as I said, it was your idea. Thank you, Lucas. Appreciate it. And uh, we also have an email address. You can email us, and we may just read it on the air. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. I love to hear your stories of your experiences with, like, 90s scares about media. I think that'd be really fascinating. Sure. If you've got anything relating to that, we'd love to know. Or maybe uh, any recent scares that you've been a part of. Uh, And you can find us to listen to us either on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Elwood City Limits. Or you can find us on iTunes. You can give us a rate and review over there. We really appreciate it. I'll have to look at the uh, ratings and reviews sometime soon. Uh, Make sure we're not missing out on anybody. And thank you to everybody who has so far. We really truly appreciate it coming up we are two episodes away from the end of the first season of arthur nearly a year it's we're just about let's see one two three we're about four months away from doing this for a full year and we are just about to hit the end of the first season and next week we'll be talking about my club rules and stolen bike oh man my club, my club rules is another one that I that I'm looking forward to. I will I will say not spoil the episode or anything. It is another ensemble one, so we'll have to see how that one kind of fits with this these two that we did here this week. Could be a nice chaser. And stolen bike. Speaking of true crime podcasts, <laughs> somebody stole my bike. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh. in this ass town. <laughs> All right, well, uh, uh, my name is Will Young, and thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Elwood City Limits. Good to be back from vacation, and thanks a lot for your support. Uh, Lucas, take us out of here. Too much sugar, fat, oh, take it away. <laughs> See you guys next time. R.I.P. to Charlie Murphy as well, mm. before we go. Yeah, actually. Rest in peace, Charlie Murphy. Everybody go home, watch uh, the Prince basketball sketch. Yes. Watch the Rick James sketch. As, uh, as, as long as you're, uh, let's say, if you're 16, you're that's fine. That's right. You're fine. That's you know what? That's when I watch Chappelle's show, you're fine. Yeah, you're fine. So, Charlie Murphy, rest in peace. This is my yard now. You're not supposed to dig in the yard.